Jen, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. I'm excited to have you. This is a topic that I've been interested in for a while. Um, alcohol. It's a tricky thing because on one hand, society throws it in your face. They tell you this is what you're supposed to do. You go to a dinner meeting, you go to a, a function, you go to any kind of gathering, even in business settings. And there's always wine, there's champagne, there's vodka, there's whiskey, whatever it is. Um, so we're being pushed into this thing in our society at a very young age. And we don't necessarily really realize, wow, how negative uh, some of the ramifications might be once we get going. Because what seems to be something fun at first could turn into a problem. So yeah. when I reached out to you to say, hey, I want want to bring you on and get your perspective, I see the things that you're doing. Um, I think I came across you looking reframe app. Mm. And I think they did a post on you. So that's how I, I found you on, on Instagram. Love it. Let's go back to you because going back to uh, April 24th of uh, 2013, I think was, yeah. was the big day. But prior to that, Jen. Take I us have, back. Oh, you can't even see it. I have it tattooed you, on my wrist. You got a tattoo. <laughs> so I there never forget. That's how symbolic that, that day really is. Yes. We'll get there. But going back before that, Jen, take us back. Give us a high level view of what you were dealing with when it came to alcohol. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I like to start it off by saying looks are deceiving. I, I justified my drinking for many years because I didn't look like your typical alcoholic. This was, you know, 15 years ago when I was kind of dabbling into this and I was raised in a great family. My parents never really drank. They had alcohol, but they never touched it. And it just slowly but surely um, where I can pinpoint the exact moment. And when we say that, when you were talking where it really starts at a young age, when I go back and look at the conditioning that starts as my son is even going through that as having two kids of, of my own, a six and eight, going to a baseball game and having beer just everywhere, like advertised, making it fun, making it enjoyable. I'm looking at it now through a different lens of what he's taking in as how really this came about. And I really think awareness is key of how normalized it is and how that can start. And these kids. And now my concern is for my children of what they're taking in. But for me, it really started from pain and heartbreak of when I got the idea that my roommates had said, hey, you know, they encouraged me when my second boyfriend wanted to go on a break, like, hey, if you take this pill, which was Adderall, you'll feel like God. And I know we're talking about alcohol, but this and I never really did drugs, neither did I know back then that alcohol was a drug, that at that point I was just desperate. But that planted a seed within me that said, hey, I could take away any feeling or any pain or heartbreak or, or uncomfortable thing away by drinking. And so it was a slow process over the next 10 years. So this was when I was 21. And so I started as someone uh, who kind of went th through heartbreak. It really created anxiety because anytime life got hard, I drank and my tolerance grew. And it wasn't really an issue. I could take it or leave it until, like I said, in my previous story, if you've listened to my story a little bit, the year leading up to my wedding, I was under tremendous stress. I'm a, I like to call myself a high-functioning closet alcoholic. I hid it for many years. I went to my job. I got good grades. I was a, I'm was a recovering perfectionist as well. So I put these unrealistic standards on myself. And when I couldn't hit them, I would beat myself up and I'd feel horrible. So I would drink and self-medicate. And the year leading up to my wedding, I was under tremendous stress of working full-time. I'm a graphic designer, so I designed for magazines. I was doing freelance full-time as a designer, and then I was planning my wedding all at the same time. And that just was so much for me that I would drink to relax. I would drink me, to fall just, asleep. Let me just kind of interject, if you don't mind here. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things. One, I think your friend was probably right when she said you feel like a god on Adderall. Cause yeah, probably did. I did. Right? Oh my God, yes. I, I dyed my hair. I said, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> I'm so happy we're going yep. on a break. This is the most amazing thing. Yes, yes. And then, of course, you know, addiction is addiction. So 
the addiction, regardless of what drug it is, addiction's not good. So uh, no. Adderall addiction leads to a lot of devastating things too. But then that kind of, you kind of blended it in with the alcohol mm-hmm. and, um, and the alcohol was starting to, you were using it to medicate. It sounds medicate. like. Medicate. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned that you were, when you say you were a closet alcoholic, mm-hmm. what, elaborate on that. What, what were some of the things that you were doing to hide it? Oh, I would go to any lengths and to any lengths. I want to say that my husband didn't even know that I had a problem until I couldn't hide it after more, which was two days after we got married and where I just started drinking around the clock. I wouldn't get out of bed. I was so just exhausted. So I would hide it. You know, if he would go out, I would have, you know, a bottle of wine, but I would, even with my parents' liquor cabinet, I would drink some of their liquor and then fill it up with water. Or um, I would hide bottles in my closet. Or before we went out, you know, they my friends would see me have a drink or two. I would, if they didn't see me before that, I would maybe have a bottle of wine before or a wow. couple drinks before. Or I would start hiding it in my purse. And the more that my my tolerance grew, my addiction progressed, I would start really sneaking it where I would start hiding it outside because once my husband knew, now I had another person trying to hold me accountable. So I had to get very clever. I would even rub my teeth. This is so strange. I would even rub my teeth with peanut butter so he couldn't smell the alcohol on my breath. I would even start drinking mouthwash my, my last year or two of my drinking career because I felt the shame of going into a liquor store of trying to hide it from people who didn't even know me, but how much shame I felt going into a liquor store with my eyes swollen hat over my eyes to, to conceal those that if I went to target and bought a bottle of mouthwash and drank that, then people wouldn't know. So it went into every single aspect from my relationships to people who didn't even know me of trying to cover this up. So when I show my before pictures, I'm smiling. On my wedding day, I'm smiling. I'm a size two. I'm glowing. But if people really knew what was going on inside, I was mentally checked out. I started yeah. drinking in the morning. I took Adderall in the morning. And I was on a bed of nerves just wanting to get through the day. So that's what I say when I say a closet alcoholic is that when my husband was describing what to my friends, what was going on in the year and a half of trying to get sober, no one believed him because they never saw that side of me. They never saw what I did when we came back, the the drinking that I did to fall asleep, the drinking that I did before we went out, the drinking when no one was there by myself yes. to overcome workaholism anxiety, all of this stuff that was going on that I thought alcohol would help with because I was conditioned at a very young age that alcohol was fun. Alcohol would help me relax, take the edge off. And it did for a little bit. And then that, we, as we learn, alcohol produces cortisol and the story goes on from there. So let's go back to the drinking before you would go out. Yeah. Because I do that sometimes too. Mm-hmm. And- the pregame. The pregame, you know, just mm-hmm. a little drink, take a little edge off. We're going to go out, do those kind of things. And I do it sometimes. And I wonder what it, when, when you say you were drinking a bottle of wine before you would go out. Yeah. Why do you think you were doing that? What was that helping you with? Confidence, liquid courage. I am someone who's an introvert and being around large groups of people freaks me out. Small talk. I don't know how to do. I, I don't know what to say. I'm like, what do I do with my hands? So it, it took the edge off of me feeling nervous. Mm. And even before dates, I would drink because then I'd feel more relaxed. And I think uncovering it all, I was uncomfortable that people wouldn't like me who, for who I was, that there was a problem with being shy at first. But what I've learned as a mother is that my kids are such wonderful teachers because when kids meet new kids or even their best friends or cousins, they're a little shy at first. They don't even look at each other. They're like, oh, who are you? I'm like, it's your cousin. (laughs) But give them 10, 15 minutes and they're like best friends and they don't want to leave. And same with adults, which is, you know, you have the social hour in a wedding. You Everyone grabs a drink because I think everyone feels uncomfortable, but it's in feeling 
that feeling and doing it anyway and being okay with being shy and an introvert, I've learned that that's, that's okay. It's okay right. to be shy. It's okay to feel uncomfortable and still show up because the most rewarding part of sobriety is showing up as yourself and remembering what you did last night. Mm. I can remember my conversations. I remember what I said. And maybe I went to bed at 9 p.m. and took a multivitamin and wrote a book and drank some tea. But I still woke up as myself and went to bed as myself. And I, I think there's something so reassuring in that. So it was me being uncomfortable with who I was because raised in a perfectionist family, I always felt that there was something wrong with me, that people wouldn't like me if they really knew who I was. Because when I drank... People referred to me, my best friends, as I was fun, Jen. I would get crazy. I'd be fun and loud. And I thought that's what people wanted. So I gave them what they wanted. But if I didn't drink, I was really kind of shy and reserved. And I only really open up to people I know, which is kind of strange because I'm just disclosing all my dirty laundry on a podcast. But I feel so much more comfortable with my past because that's new, not who I am anymore. It's what I've been through, but I can feel gratitude because it's brought me to where I am today. Yes, that makes a ton, a ton of sense. And what's really interesting about that is while you think it's helping you out, you're putting a Band-Aid on the situation. Mm -hmm. What's really ha happening, I think you've alluded to, is you're compounding the issue because what once was a bottle of wine before you go out, maybe is a bottle of wine in the shot or leads to more extreme and you're becoming more tolerant to it because the more you drink, of course we develop a tolerance. So, you know, I was, I kind of felt good when I went out with doing bottles before, but now I got to do something, you know, it's one of those things that just keeps adding on, on top of itself. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is while you're developing this tolerance, you're ultimately putting yourself in a position to just go to a, a extreme blackout place. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what where you were going with the drinking once you'd get going. Yeah. And the thing was, I couldn't stop. And I, that's what I say when I we really realize I have a problem. You have a problem. When I was at Hazleton, I remember one of the counselors there says, we just have a more switch. I don't have an off switch. It's just more, please. And I would drink in my later years to blackout every single time. If Let I didn't me ask blackout, you real quick. Sorry, Jen. Did your husband, I know you were hiding it. Did he know that you were a drinker, like a pretty big drinker? Not to the extent of what I was hiding. Because he, he drank. And when we would go out, we would go out with friends and drink, you know, go to a party, go to a bar, have drinks and go home. But while you guys were engaged, were you drinking to blackout during that phase? Towards the end, yes. And I would set these mini goals. And I was doing this by myself. Because I, I was so freaked out at the word alcoholic of, oh, my God, do I need AA? That was like the worst case scenario. And what would happen to me if I was this alcoholic? Like, holy crap. But I, I thought I was too far down to even disclose what was going on for so many years. So I would set these like mini goals. Okay, if I can go five days, I'm not an alcoholic. If I can go three days and I couldn't do it. And mm. I'm like, I cannot stop. What were the feelings, uh, Jen? You're you're sitting there, you're fighting. Talk about the battle that's going on internally. You're going through your day, you're working, and uh, you say, I am not going to do this today. I am not going to. And then you get home. And what what's the battle? What's the conflict? I think it's the process of withdrawals. Withdrawals, when you go, especially those first 72 hours, especially the first 24 hours, mine were, I was drinking so much that my hands would start to shake and I would get so nervous and I would just feel so uncomfortable with the anxiety and shame that you give in to that instant gratification because the craving was so strong. And, and I was just, I would beat myself up and just be like, I, I just couldn't, and I didn't feel well. So I just waste the day trying to feel better and then the only thing that would help me feel better for a little bit is drinking again. And so it's this constant negative habit loop that you continue. And what I teach in my program is that, you know, it's this negative habit loop that keeps the drinker returning to the one thing that's causing all their problems because they don't see a way out. Mm. And that feeling is so intense that you would do anything. I would literally do anything to make that go away. 
and you're doing you're you're fighting that feeling and then you have the drink or a couple of drinks you go ah uh, okay now i feel better yeah because last night's last night i hit it pretty hard so you gotta chase the what do they call it chase the the uh hair of the dog or whatever you're you're chasing the next day in order to kind of mitigate the anxiety feeling yes absolutely and, and then you so just that repeat was what the you were dealing cycle. with you were dealing with that when you would tell yourself i'm going to go two or three days without drinking you would start you're battling those feelings yeah and the anxiety is so high and right. uh you're just and you're doing this by yourself or i was not everybody and that's why i tell yourself. yeah i was going through this all in my head and that's not a good place to be <laughs> why were you hesitant to talk to your husband about it? What were you in fear of with that? I thought he was going to leave me that if he knew that about me, like I didn't even know how to bring up the conversation. And I even think a couple of weeks before we got married, I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. Cause I was so toying, like, am I one? Am I not? Where I tell people leave the label out of it for, for forever. If you'd like, and he was like, no, you're not. You're not. You just had, you know, he would travel a lot. He still travels a lot. And I would drink when he would leave because I'm like, woo, party. No one knows. I can drink as much as I want and I can, you know, eat as much as I want. And I, it would just, now, I'd have my free time. Gone, Jen, were you drinking to blackout? Well, he'd go out Absolutely. and drink yourself to sleep. You would. Yeah. Especially that last year. Yep. Every time and there was nobody there to hold you accountable. So it was even easier to do it as you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I have two dogs who are there and I would, I wouldn't take care of them. And um, I'm, and I'm talking about the later years, like the last year of me drinking, not really leading up to it where I was kind of dabbling with that behavior of blacking out and waking up and not knowing where I was or who I was next to mm. or, um, and it would be scary. I remember I woke up in the last year of my drinking and my husband was out of town and I woke up and the I the couch was ripped up. I have no I was by myself and I have I had no idea if someone broke in. I had no idea what I was doing. If I took a knife and like slashed the couch and that's what makes it so scary cuz you lose entire parts of your memory cuz it damages your prefrontal cortex and I mean, the situ I'm so lucky to be alive because I think I've gotten a hundred second chances, um, which now I want to make the full use of my life in order to help others who are also struggling with this yes. and letting them know they're not alone and there's nothing wrong with them uh, for choosing to give in to this thing that we were told that would make us into a different person, that who we were wasn't enough unless we started to drink and that could make us fun and see it could help us feel sophisticated and and likable and when in reality in sobriety I've learned to really tune into what do I like and how can I get back to really who I am and yes. be as true to myself as I can knowing that going with a crowd is not who I want to be I want to be able to stand out I mean you hear that quote why you fit in when you're born to stand out but that's the true essence of what sobriety can give you. So when, what year did you get married? 2011. Okay. So then for a year and a half, two years mm -hmm. into the marriage, it was getting more and more intense. Absolutely. It, it was the a last good year. year so 2012 to 2013, that time frame was, was really at, at an all time high. Mm -hmm. I think you, in that period, um, there were multiple DUIs. How, when did those occur? Um, my first one was actually in January 1st, 2005, 2005. Uh, New yeah. Year's Eve classic. Um, perfect, I was... time, perfect time to get pulled over. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to sleep in my bed. I was trying to go meet a boy and uh, my dad was my lawyer, which was very humbling. And <laughs> you think that would be enough to, it wasn't enough to like wake me up to be like, right. oh my God, I, right. something's going on. But I mean, I still had eight years of drinking left and uh, it was February 14th. I mean, another classic holiday, 2013, where I got my second and my husband, when I, in this year and a half of me trying to get sober, having days, having periods, going back, going into treatment three times, outpatient eight times, all of this stuff to try to figure out and fix me, figure out what's going on. When is she going to get it? 
Uh, my husband had set a boundary. If you drink in our place, you've got to leave. I can't have you stay here. And when you say the first year of your marriage is hard, for us, it was, I mean, not saying we're different, but it was really hard because he had no idea. And now he's dealing with this and he's like, what the hell did I marry? So he had I had no idea left. The ex how extreme it was. How he extreme I was taking understand it. What was like I, I don't want anybody. I wanted to, I, we don't, I don't say what's going on in my life. You do not hear the dirty laundry. I just let you know from what I look like to what I do to my job that everything's great. And I, I can do it all. And don't I judge and a book I, by its cover, right? It's, absolutely not. What, so what that's see, why I say what you see online, especially the Instagram, the Facebook, the YouTube, people putting things out. You don't know what's going on in somebody's life. No. Most likely what you're seeing is not. It's a facade. Absolutely. And Instagram is just classic for that. That's why I like to share just like the not so good stuff too, right. like everyday life. Like, hey, dude, I'm struggling right now. So I need to like reset and figure out what's going to help me right now. Well, that's the most valuable because then people go, oh my God, I can relate to this person. Yes. I and I, yes, I wish more people would do that. You can't relate to the person that's sitting there in a Lamborghini pretending that's theirs. Yeah. You can't relate to that. You relate to someone like you who's being real saying, I am, I'm not feeling great today. Yeah. I'm having an off day. It. I'm not yeah. feeling like myself. And I, I, that's why I really, I know in COVID and distance learning, that was a really hard time too. And when I would go on a meeting and a another mom would be crying saying, I just don't know how I can do this all like teaching and then working and then being a parent. I'm like, yes, like that's what I needed to hear. Cause you think you're the only person going through this and like, I can't do this. And when you see other people share that about themselves, it just, makes it normalize that you're not alone in knowing that you can't manage four different jobs at the same time without feeling a little bit of stressed. So February so. of 2013, you get your second DUI eight years yeah. later from your first one. Mm -hmm. And there's still, okay, you're getting close to the April 24th date. Mm -hmm. You've got yeah. 60 days basically. So mm -hmm. Talk about mm. that little period of time between your second DUI and April 24th. What was going on there? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. So I, I remember I was drinking, knowing I had to get out of the house and I felt so bad about what was going on that I, I drank. I was like, screw this. I'm just. So that second DUI, while it was upsetting, it didn't stop you from drinking yet. No. Okay. From that point on, I mean, I did. I went to jail. I got out on a bail bond or something. I can't remember. And in order for me to get out, I think I had to blow into something at my house every few hours to make sure I wasn't drinking until my court dates or something. Um, but it was still in this period of time where uh, I was just, my husband had kicked me out of the house, like in the, in the next two months, I was living with my parents who didn't really know what to do with me either. I had to go with my dad to his office because they had to keep an eye on me 24 seven. I felt like a child and I was, yeah, drinking mouthwash, vanilla extract, anything I could get my hands on to, to take me away from who I was, where I didn't even want to live anymore. Because I was so far deep and I remember sitting on the living room floor and I just said, I don't know how to get out of here. I am so low. I had lost my job. I had lost my car from the DWI. I was living at my parents' house. I was I was taking Adderall on and off because it helped me to feel a little bit better. Like give me like a little confidence from how low I was feeling, which alcohol does. And I was putting so much strain on my heart that my hands went numb and I, I I, I felt myself dying and I said, I don't know how much time I have left. And it was that, that point I, where I was with my dad at his office, just doodling around as throwing up in the garbage can, all mm. of this stuff, buying, I, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm airing the bad stuff right now, but there is good stuff. There's amazing stuff too, but just how bad it got Jen, and how, how old much were you I would try point? to. How old were you, if you don't mind? Huh. 31. You were 31. Yeah. You were supposed to be starting this whole new life. You had a husband, yeah. you got married a year and a half before. And I wanted years. kids so bad. You wanted kids. You did, you did not have children yet. And, yeah. um, and then you were kicked out of the house. You had your yeah. second DUI. Mm -hmm. You felt ashamed and now you're with your parents and you felt 
helpless, uh, basically hopeless. Yeah. I just, I just said, I don't know what more to do. And when you're, when I say that habit loop cycle, it's like when you feel so low, the only thing that sounds good that would take you away on a mental vacation is the same thing that's causing out the problems. Correct. So that's what I did. And it was at that point where I blacked out at his office. I had gotten my hands on mouthwash because they were keeping their eyes on me. And um, they took me to detox for my you second time. You blacked out at his office. How? What, what did you take? Mouthwash. You mouthwash. blacked out by drinking mouthwash? Yeah. That was my drink of choice the last year. You would drink mouth. You weren't just guzzling, like guzzling and spitting. That it was out. my there... drink of choice. I would drink bottles. Bottles of and mouthwash. Bottles. What it would get you high or give you that feeling? It gets you drunk. If you look oh at the alcohol, if you buy the stuff with alcohol in it, which is most of it. So now today I still can't use mouthwash because it makes me want to throw up. I'm just like, you know, the alcohol free kind. I'm like, oh, like even when I smell it, I'm like, I, I like throw up in my mouth a little. Absolutely. Um, but, and yeah, that's looking back on it now. And I blew a 0.34 and I came to in the hospital with my mom next to me. I just said, I just said to her, help me. You and, blew a um, 0.34 after the mouthwash incident? Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that was what I got drunk on um, my last drink. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I was in detox. And in this time, you know, this year and a half, I was at Hazelden twice, the big center city. I um, I went to their inpatient and then their extended care stay. I was in outpatient. And then I was also cheating my UAs too. I had heard in treatment where how you can cheat UAs because I was get tested to make sure I'm sober and I would cheat those. What's and, UA, uh, Jen? Uh, urinary analysis. So they take it, you take a pee test and they test it for alcohol in your okay. system to make sure you're sober. And um, so all of this stuff to, to try to make this work, right? Try to make my drinking work in my life. And um, so it was in detox where I just, I was so done. And the fact that I blew a 0.34 scared me that we're, I know you can blow higher, but the fact that I've been doing that for the past two years with mouthwash and rubbing alcohol at one point where I thought, how many times did I cheat death? Not even with drinking, but even in a blackout, the dangerous things that can happen. Usually I just drank at home. I didn't drink around people. I didn't want anybody to see what I was doing to myself. So that just really was a wake up call. I had court the next day and it was in detox where I just said, and I, and that's why I say to people, it was a decision. It was an internal decision where I knew I wasn't going to fight this anymore. And I was done. You knew and it. I, like you knew I it. Knew this it. Is it. I was completely done. I, there was no games. I wasn't even going to try. I, I'm sorry. There's a lot of times where people like we all do it or a lot of us do it. I've done it clearly where you go too hard. You go too, too much. You push yeah. the envelope and you go, oh my God, I drank way too much last night. I can't believe that. And you wake up thinking to yourself, I've done, I'm done. Like I'm thought to myself, <laughs> this, I can't, this is crazy. This is a yeah. horrible feeling the next day. Yeah. And then of course the feeling wears off after that. And you just, you, you end up gradually going back to, at least I have, it's not like I, you know, I, I haven't, I, I haven't had that extremism of drinking a blackout like we're talking about here, but there's times mm -hmm. where I've clearly gone that far. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh my God, what happened at the end of last night? Last night was And then pleasant. you laugh about it. Like, oh my right. God, what did I do? No way. Right. <laughs> or I used it's to. such an uncomfortable feeling too, when you're not sure what you did. That's the and worst. scary. That's the worst feeling. Um, mm -hmm. so I want to get into this because this really has become your mission Yeah. since this, since that day in April of 2013, here we are mm -hmm. almost 10 years later, over nine years later at this point. Yeah. And you've been sober ever since April 24th, 2013. Yeah. You said to yourself that day, I'm done. Talk about what was, you know, the weeks, the days, weeks, and months, especially at the beginning when it was going to probably be the absolute hardest. Talk about how you were finally, you said you were doing it all alone for the prior 10 years or whatever. How yeah. were you able to finally start turning this around in April of 2013? Yeah. And it was a matter of, and by that point I had lost everybody's trust and it was a matter of giving it up, giving up the outcome and just reminding myself the only thing that would make where I'm at worse is if I drank. As long as I don't drink, I can't make this any worse than it already is. And I had a lot of stuff to clean up. I didn't know if I was going to make it with my husband. He was done at that point. My parents were done at 
that point who had supported me and paid for my treatment. They were done. They said, you can't stay here anymore. So I found myself doing a chemical assessment, which is what you do to get into treatment in the bathroom, calling a homeless shelter saying, do you have any places to stay for a few days until I can go into inpatient? Now, someone who was raised and got good grades and all of that now calling a homeless shelter was just beyond what I ever thought my life would be. But my parents let me stay there for a couple of days. I went into my last inpatient stay. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I did my court dates. I did house arrest. Um, I did paid my lawyer. I got a simple job at a printing shop biking uh, there because I didn't have a car. And then I would bike to my outpatient treatment after inpatient. I got a parole officer. I went to AA meetings. I went uh, got a breathalyzer in my car for two years with a newborn uh, in my backseat with whiskey plates, which is just some of the things that I had to do to clean it up and take responsibility for what I caused and kind of slowly start to pick up the damage. And it was before I went into my last inpatient stay a few days, you know, this is must be April 26, 2013, where my husband and I took a drive. We weren't really talking much to each other, but I got honest with him about the Adderall use as well. Because I said, if I don't share this with him, I, that's keeping me from getting completely sober. Mm. So I was completely honest with him. He was so accepting and just nonchalant. He's just like, okay, as long as you're done, we're good. I'm like, okay, because I thought you were going to like storm out of here, th throw everything and be like, we're done. But he was just so, so much of what we worry about never even happens. And people are a lot more accepting than you think. Yes. Well, and even in a weird way too, that he may have thought to himself, huh? Okay. It may have even been even less severe once you admitted that to him, because he realized there's something else that may be adding fuel to the flame, like yeah. fanning the flames of this addiction. Maybe it's just not me. He might even say, mm -hmm. What, does she have to black out because it's me? You, you know, sometimes you just, it, it what we think is going to bother somebody ultimately actually get, gets more sympathy or more empathy from that person when they realize, oh my God, there's a real issue here. Yeah. So yeah. He and to, honesty is key. That. And yes. building that, just that there were no more secrets that I had to hide. He knew everything. He seen me at my absolute worst. Mm. And, uh, so, yeah, and before we went in there, we took a drive and there's really nice neighborhood. And I just saw, pictured my life sober and, and what could happen. And I picture, and I saw a great house and I saw these two kids and it was at sunset. So I know this sounds so cheesy, but like I saw what my life could be like. And I didn't know if we were going to make it, what was going to happen but I kept that image through with me through treatment, through all of this of being like, I know things can be better as long as I stay sober and slowly, but sure. And not even really slowly, quickly within four months, you know, I was in back in with him. He was a little nervous. I still had to earn my trust. It took years to earn back his trust. Sure. And even when I get sick with the stomach flu, he's like, it triggers him because he remembers me in bed doing that. And he's just like, I just can't. But in four months, I got pregnant. In four months, I got a job back in my field. In seven months, I was promoted. And then just all of this stuff kept happening. We got a house. And now I can say today that I'm living that life or not even that life, but such a better life. I have two kids, a boy and a girl. We have a wonderful house in the country. And um, it's just all of these things started coming into my life. Once I removed that one thing that was holding me back from a, from receiving all of this, and I've never looked back since. What do you attribute your, there's a lot of factors, mm -hmm. but for somebody that's just starting out, they're trying to get sober or they just started yeah. and they're in the early stages. What do they need? Do they need AA? Do they need some kind of support group? Do they need, can they do it alone? What are some of the, mm -hmm. the do's and don'ts uh, for someone in that stage? Yeah. I mean, number one is like we discussed in the beginning is to keep labels out of it. It did try, don't even Google alcoholic. Do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? Really? If you're even questioning it, that's something to consider. 
because people who don't have a problem don't really question it. I don't question if I have a problem with broccoli because I don't have a problem eating broccoli or mayonnaise, as Jim Gaffigan uh, did a funny skit on that. But it's, and to really know that sobriety is not a straight shot up. It's full of lots of twists and turns. And every single time that we try and fail, try and fail, try and go back, it's really building up within us this point where I say it takes you to that decision. And all of those things are really important because you've got to feel pain. You've got to feel uncomfortable to get you to that point. And it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay. And especially in those earth you days which are so uncomfortable it's okay to feel sad it's okay to have emotions and we don't have to fix what we're feeling by escaping them because like you said in the beginning it's like putting a band-aid on the real problem the only way to get better at something is to show up and to do it anyway and to also know that there's nothing wrong with you it's it, it and it's nothing to be ashamed about of being addicted to an addictive drug and you don't need to hit rock bottom to question why you drink alcohol of really asking yourself, what am I using it for? And is it giving me what I hope it's to achieve with it? Um, and could there be a, another way? Um, it's really asking ourselves, you know, what am I getting out of that? And just becoming aware of, of our drinking and, and um, maybe some other alternatives to that. But I always say, especially you know, it's really easy to beat ourselves up, but to really try to be compassionate with ourselves and gracious as we go through this process, because it's not an easy one. And by no means can you do it alone. Mm. You have to get in a community because we become who we surround ourselves with. So if you're surrounded by other people who drink or who are normal drinkers, who could, like you, you can have one and be, be all right. Then we're going to think, okay, well, maybe there is something wrong with me, or maybe I can go back and try to manage this. But if you get around and like we said in the beginning of finding other people who tell it like it is and be like, hey, this is hard, or hey, yes, I've done that too. Have you hit a bottle? Have you filled your little tumbler glass with vodka and water and gone to a baseball game? I did too. And then it really starts to release this notion that there's something wrong with us, that we're bad people, and that we're the only people who cannot get this. So that's what a community can do. And they can support you and cheer you and pick you up if you do have a slip and tell you to keep. Jen, that's so perfectly said. And the community piece, I would believe, has to be probably the number one thing um, to allow you to get there. How important too is exercise? Ah, uh, if you checked on my Instagram page, um, it's it's huge, and that's something I I really tell the women, and I I put it in my coaching courses to get out on walks, and it, I'm not talking hit really and hard intense, and although that is really really rewarding because if you can do a hard workout, especially in the morning. What else can you do that day? If you can get in and move your body, you can stay sober today. It helps to rebuild the brain tissue that is lost through drinking, the gray matter. It helps give you a sense of control. It helps you to feel better. And so if there's one thing you do take away with this, if you've been struggling with drinking or questioning or drinking, literally it's often the simple things that we can implement that will give us the greatest results. So getting outside as something I started last year doing 75 hard in October and through the cold Minnesota winter was getting outside and going on walks. And I did this in treatment and they have these woods at Hazelden and at all the treatments for people and patients to go outside and just go on walks. It's a great way to move the emotion through your body, to release the emotion, to just give your mind some space to help release a craving. And you also get that vitamin D and that's really essential. So whether you go you go on a walk, you move your body, maybe you listen to a sober podcast or a sober book, because I really believe that education and really understanding and learning about what what exactly am I putting into my body? How is that affecting me? And what are some better ways that I can learn from people who have done it before me that I can apply to how I'm feeling today? And mm. that is the number one thing, like movement, and education, because I say from Maya Angelou, when we know better, we do better. 
when you know more about what alcohol is, how it affects your experience, especially your brain health, not only your physical health, your brain health, your relationships, you're better informed to make a decision the next time you have a craving. And then you ask yourself, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Or is there another way? Can I go outside and go on a walk, get some fresh air, clear my mind, move my body? Cause that's going to boost my confidence. It's going to give me that endorphins. And maybe I'm going to come back and think differently. It's going to give me that little pause that I need to to think through this a little bit, play the tape forward. What's going to happen? How is my morning going to look if I choose to do this? And is it worth it? Mm. And like exercise, especially if you can do it in the early morning hours, can set your day up. So when you do get to that trigger hour, usually between either 4 and 5 p.m. or for a lot of times for people, it's in the evenings around 8 or 9 because you've done the front end of your day with something that pours into you that makes you feel good, the better able you're going to uh, bookend your day on a positive note. Mm. So you're not going to be like, oh, I'm so exhausted. I need a drink. You'll be like, oh, I feel so good. I need to f- get to freaking sleep. Right. And I worked out today and I feel good. Don't don't yeah. put poisons in after the workout. Don't cancel the workout. No, that's what exactly what you're doing. You're canceling all of those good things that it's going to help you do. And if you're drinking at night, what working out helps you do is it helps you get better sleep. And if you're even having a glass of wine or a beer, that's interrupting your sleep cycle. So when I say like, that's really what I I choose to do now in my sobriety um, is making self-care. I know we use that term a lot, but really doing the things that make me feel good of moving my body, of getting sleep, prioritizing sleep, going on a walk, drinking my calming tea like I do every before every single podcast, you know, meetings, watching good TV or my friend's TV, all of this stuff add yes. up to really this big form of taking care of yourself. So you don't get to that point where you're stressed out, burned out, and you're saying, fuck it, I'm just going to drink. That's what we don't want to do. You mentioned coaching. You have your uh, consultancy, your website, Living Zero Proof. This is your mission now, like I mentioned. Yeah. This has been your thing for, you've been going strong. You've developing a social media presence. You've got a lot of people that are following along and you've created this fantastic, I'll call it a community for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. but Living Zero Proof. Talk a little bit about what you're doing to help these people and the services you're providing. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm going to be changing that name to lighthouse sobriety in the next few weeks yeah so the website will be changing my company name will be changing because i realized in my previous group that i always try to empower coach women to stand tall and to be the light and be the example for the people that come behind us because a lot of times they're the only ones in their friends groups who's not drinking and i said have you be the one to go first you have no idea who might be thinking they need a way out too. So by you raising your hand and standing tall and shining your light and owning this choice, you're going to be an example of what sobriety is, of what living alcohol-free is, of still in- enjoying life and having fun, going to a concert and having the best time and being able to remember it all. Or going so, on a vacation like you did with your family recently, where you said oh, it's great to be on vacation and, and not have to drink and wake up feeling sluggish and yeah, it's not it's not fair to do to my kids. It's not fair to do to me. I, I yeah. Think you said. yeah, my kids don't deserve that. And as long as I do my best to take care of myself, then that's taking care of my kids because they learn by my example. If I'm tired, if I'm irritable, if I drink today, I'm ruining tomorrow. And I know I won't have them if I choose to do that because I know what I do when I drink and I don't go to I don't do it minimally. I go to extremes and I go, I do it for a reason. So uh, yeah, I started coaching and I lived in the sober closet. I like to say for four years, cause I did AA, nothing wrong with AA, uh, but that's just what treatment guided you through. That's what I started with. And then through this process of not really sharing that I was sober for four years, I was kind of doing this in the closet a little bit. I, I started beach body coaching which is so strange for me because putting myself out there was something new. And it was through that where I started to share my story and I did a coming out post and I got, I just felt this need of, I can't, I can't have people trust me 
or believe in what I'm doing unless they know everything about me. So I did it in like a few minutes and I got so much praise and encouragement that I slowly started disclosing more and more about what I do. And so that really turned into, I think this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing. Something I didn't talk about at all now is the one thing I love to talk about. So it, I started message getting DMs and started coaching women on the side of just through messages. And then I, I started with private coaching a couple of years ago. And then now, because community is such an important aspect of sobriety, I wanted to do this together. So I started creating group coaching programs with, of just women where we do this together. And that is really where the magic is of going through this process together. So if we have a slip or a victory or got through a weekend and didn't drink, we can celebrate each other. And, and now it's, it's really just kind of grown and taken off where a couple days ago, I put in my two weeks notice at my job. So I will be doing this full time as, wow. yeah. Congratulations. It, this, That's amazing. Thank That's amazing. you. It's, um, it was you're so like, nerve-wracking like, I should have had my coming out party years before. Why did I wait so long? Yeah. Right? And it's just, yeah. I didn't know. And what's the, that's the cool part about where we are right now is more and more people are g- gathering the courage to own their sobriety and to share it and to start just talking about it. Because mm-hmm. the more we can talk about it, the more we can normalize if we go to those work parties or, you know, maybe there's mocktail options at baseball games, which I would be down for if there was an option or at a wedding or at a, a work event or at a restaurant. My God, charge me $12 for a mocktail and I will pay that because sure. I just want the option. I just don't want the alcohol in it, but I still want to drink something other than Sprite or Shirley Temple. Uh, so yeah, and just really encouraging women to gain the confidence in this decision and leading them through what I would have wanted 10 years ago when I was lost and struggling. Mm. So I felt like I didn't really get the living sober treatment when I was in my treatment stays, it was really uncovering why we did this. But how do you live sober? How do you go to a function and get through a party and not drink? What do you say to people? How is a morning routine so conducive for recovery? How is moving your body so important? How is setting boundaries with other people? All of this stuff come into leading and living a better life. And I guide women through the process of what happens with withdrawals, who to call if you have serious withdrawals, what to experience so they know they're not alone in this and to help just guide them to see that light that comes back on, which is so freaking rewarding when you see someone go from crying in the beginning to laughing and crying tears of joy because they feel so good. Um, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Very inspirational. Really, I mean, even the way you talk about this, the way that you're so open and vulnerable with your past and the the mistakes you've made and the hurdles that you've had to jump and two steps forward, one step back. Maybe it was sometimes two steps forward, three steps back, as you kind of mentioned. Yeah. But to be so open and raw and vulnerable, you're authentic. You could feel it. And I think that's why you're helping so many people now and they're feeling so comfortable coming to you. Uh, you mentioned the website's changing. If you want to give the website name now, we can. We'll make sure we link it all up in the show notes. But website, social media, where can people find you if they want to work with you or just learn more? Yeah, so the website now is livingzeroproof.com. It will change to join lighthousesobriety.com in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you can look me up on, I like to hang out on Instagram at Jen Lee Hurst. And then I have a really... I'm so excited about this group coming up in October, October 3rd. It's going to be called 75 Sober. And based on my experience with 75 Hard, I don't know. Have you done 75 Hard or heard of it? That's the that 75-day program, correct? Yeah. I've heard yeah. of it, yes. Yeah. And so I did that last year. And when I was going through this, I said, I want to do something like this for sobriety because it's all these really great two extreme aspects of taking care of yourself. So I thought, what if I started a group that's not as intense 75 hard, but are all key aspects to helping you feel great in sobriety leading up into the holidays, leading up until like a few days before Christmas. So you are doing the prep work for a stressful and triggering part of the season 
you're going to be that many steps ahead to be better able to handle it because you've been showing up and doing these habits every single day for three months, for 75 days. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. So that starts October 3rd. But um, more information, you can just go to my website or Instagram right. and all. And like I said, Jen, we'll make sure we link you in the show notes. Guys, click the show notes if you want to work with Jen, learn more about her mission, her sobriety, watch some cool inspirational Instagram videos, whatever it is. Uh, take a look. She's doing it over there. My last question for you. This has been fantastic, like I said. Uh, last question, very simple. Mm -hmm. Somebody, whoever's listening, they're on the fence or they're not sure, or they're interested, they're intrigued, they want to make a change to their lifestyle. Why should they go sober? Why? To live a better life. Um, To see what life could be like. And I say, you know, when you're considering it, you don't, don't give yourself like forever. Try it for 30 days. Every single month has a dry, sober association with it. So now we're in dry August or alcohol-free August. Then it'll be sober September, then sober October. If you want to know, like, so many people are trying this out. And then, of course, the big dry January. So I would encourage people, see what it's like for 30 days, you know, and see how you feel. See how you truly feel and notice what benefits come up. Like, how do you, how is your sleep? How are your relationships? How's your productivity at work? How's your energy levels? And then go from there. And you don't, like I said before, keep the label out of it. Don't think you need to have a problem to quit drinking or to take you to break. But you deserve to, to know what you feel like without this in your system. Knowing that it takes at least 10 days for it to fully remove from your body Give yourself that time to see who you truly are and how you can, how good you can really feel. Perfectly stated. Thank you so much again, Jen, and look forward to your continued successes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.